So, Mark. Yes. In the movie we're discussing this week, at one point, Rachel McAdams' character, Allie, returns to the town in which much of the movie takes place. And when she does so, she drives past a sign telling us the population of this town. I forgot what it was. I don't know what the population was either. But I think that that's a cool idea, and we should go back to having population signs outside every town and city. I never understood the point. I think it exists in some places still. If I remember correctly, when I went to a small town in Minneapolis, it had the population on a sign. I assume that number is, like, taken from the most recent census, but I like to imagine that it is frequently updated. (laughs) Yeah, my favorite is in the opening of Twin Peaks... It has the Welcome to Twin Peaks sign with the population, and I've always thought the specificity was interesting because it's 51,201 people, where that implies that with the one, every time a new person is born, someone goes and repaints the sign. But what I found out is apparently ABC forced them to change it because it was originally written to be 5,120, and ABC was like, people don't like shows set in too rural of places, so put another digit at the end. So my go-to reference is the classic computer game, The Logical Journey of the Zumbinis, a series of weird logic puzzles that you have to solve about these little blue dudes. And when you get to the end of the game, you have, like Moses, led the Zumbinis through a period of suffering and ultimately to the promised land, notably Zumbiniville, and the little population marker goes up each time a new Zumbini makes it to Zumbiniville. What was your childhood? I still really don't understand. I played a lot of educational PC games. In case you're interested, Will, you can get it at the App Store for $5. Great. Wow. I mean, population signs, though, they can be useful and beneficial. There's a place that I know from work where anytime someone new lands on the island or the atoll, they have to go and physically change the population number on the island so that if there's some sort of emergency, they actually know how many people are there. But like, if somebody there goes on vacation, do they have to lower it? Yeah, yeah. That's the first thing you do when you land is you go and increase the population. And then when you're leaving, you go and decrease the population. What place is this? The Palmyra Atoll. It's a nature preserve. There it is. According to this picture on Wikipedia, the current population at the time it was taken was four. So that's like a little bit different than a town. Yeah, I mean, sure. I'm trying to envision the way that you could like build weird stories out of this. Like the town's population sign weirdly increases and you have an investigation to figure out what happened. And what you discovered is like criminals have been digging underneath the town, but because the town is enchanted to automatically bump the population number up, that's how you find out that there are some no-gooders creeping around in the town. You've got to investigate and find out who are these creepy people? Where are they? I only watched the first season, but apparently in Stranger Things, there's, like, Russians living underground or something. Probably. this sounds very similar. I also only watched the first season. I mean, don't they do that in some of those, like, weird everyone over 25 disappears shows where they'll go and, like, change the population Is that a genre? Yeah, there's a couple on Netflix. The Society being one. There's another one that had Emily Osment, maybe? Like... There's a couple of them. I think they're only on Netflix. I have watched none of these. I know of Logan's Run in theory. 
a book my dad said that he read as a kid, and that's about all I know, except that I think everyone dies at 25. I mean, I saw Midsummer. 72 is different than 25. Sure. But no, like, this is a thing. There's a couple of shows. What a specific genre to exist. Is that, like, a category on Netflix? I wouldn't be surprised. They do love their Right under, like, witty, irreverent workplace comedies. Beneath it, we've got dramas where everyone over 25 disappears. Slash is murdered. (laughs) And then beneath that, cooking shows. Yeah, Great British Bake Off. And then below that... Shows where everyone over 25 gets cooked. And then just shows where someone has their arms crossed on the poster. And then just really a loop of too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. And then below that is just shows where a surprisingly minor character is on the card for this show for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's always Noah Centineo. Always. They're just trying to get people to watch that stuff. I love when you see a, like, still on a show on Netflix and the character they've chosen, you keep expecting to get more important things to do and they never do. Oh, it's like how Pete Davidson is on the card for Set It Up. Yeah, he is (laughs) in it for, like, ten seconds. And they have Lucy Liu in terms of draw. Like, they could put any of the actual famous people they have in it. Of course, they get, like, different ones for different accounts based on what they think you'll click on. That's so, true. Catherine, maybe you're watching a lot of normal shows and they're putting stuff about dead 25-year-olds because they think that'll lure you in. I mean, I do have a lot of true crime in my queue. Mm, it's all fitting together. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, should we start the show? Sure. Speaking of death. Speaking of death. <laughs> Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And why does racist, homophobe Nicholas Sparks still get movies made? I mean, are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it is a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in and we will see what's there. It's our mission. We can't stop. We won't stop. We have to do it. Every day, over and over again, hoping that people will get a sense of what we're trying to do. And this week, of course, we are looking at one of the most iconic romance movies of this century, 2004's The Notebook, directed by Nick Cassavetes and based on the novel by noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks. If anyone refers to him as not noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks on this episode, I will be very mad. To those of you who don't know, noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks runs a very conservative Christian school. And in a number of emails that were released by the Daily Beast earlier this year, we have extensive frustration and fury by noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks at the idea that students might form an LGBT student group at his school. The racist part comes mostly from watching this movie and several others. Hey now, there were a lot of black people as entertainers and domestic workers. The only black people in this movie are entertainers and domestic workers. It's horrifying. This was made in the 21st century. We are certain that Rachel McAdams' character, her parents are crazy racist, right? A hundred percent. One thousand million percent. Her mom is definitely a daughter of the Confederate Republic, or whatever they're called. United Daughters of the Confederacy. Yeah. Her dad is played by David Thornton, and 
he looks like a cartoon character. <laughs> the first time we see him, he's wearing white pants, a like red smoking jacket, and he's got this literally curling mustache and a big old cigar sticking out of his mouth. Lon Hammond's money comes from cotton. Like, sharecroppers are working for him. Yeah, I mean, her dad does look like Colonel Sanders if he had dark hair. I just listened to a podcast about Gone with the Wind, and it sounds like that has a more interesting relationship of problematizing the South than this movie. Anyway, (laughs) The Notebook. (laughs) Sorry, I am mad. No, that's totally fair. I'm coming in hot on this one. Now, she has already spoken, but we have not formally introduced her. We are rejoined once again for this episode by original release Notebook fan. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, it is. Our friend Catherine. Hi, everybody. So. Mark and I had not seen The Notebook. No, this was my first time watching it, and I finished it about 20 minutes before we started recording. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your first experience seeing The Notebook? What drew you to it at the time? Maybe how you feel about it now? Let's think. I mean, I don't remember my actual first experience watching The Notebook. But, like, bring yourself back to June 2004. June 2004. George W. Bush is running for re-election. The Star Wars prequel trilogy is in full swing. I was Fever I, Pitch is going to be coming out in about a year. <laughs> I hate you. Um, Everyone's say. sitting on the edge for it, uh, full of anticipation, waiting. <laughs> They've got to get the fever! Well, I don't think I saw The Notebook in theaters. I think I saw it with my mom, rented from Blockbuster, probably more in the spring of 2005. After Which, I, to be clear for everyone listening, is the spring of the baseball season covered in Fever Pitch. Yeah, go Sox. But I probably wouldn't have seen it in theaters as an 11-year-old, but then as a 12-year-old at that point, my mom probably would have, I think, let me watch it at home. And I know I saw it before the 2005 MTV Movie Awards because that was a defining moment in my adolescent life. But I always liked, you know, I'm a sucker for period pieces. My mom had read the book, and so I think it was something we watched together for the first time. And, you know... It's like a sweet little romance. And when you're 12, you don't see the problematic pieces of it. So I just, you know, really wanted to date Ryan Gosling, I guess. (laughs) I really don't after watching this movie. But he has so many good one-liners. He's telling her everything that she wants to hear. He's also yelling at her most of the time. (laughs) I mean, fair. But again, I was 12. You don't really notice that when you have people that are as attractive as they are on the screen also they started dating in real life and so that was like one of the first celebrity couples i was aware of at that point that met on set and then started dating and they were everywhere but this was also a weird one because they 100 percent did not get along on set Like, it's an incredibly hostile relationship on set to the point that Gosling was asking for stand-ins because he didn't feel like he could work with Rachel McAdams. So he's like, anytime possible, bring in a stand-in. And ultimately, the director, Nick Cassavetes, had to just, like, shut them in a room and be like, figure it out. And they yelled at each other for about 45 minutes and then went from there. And then dated for, like, almost two years, I think? I think longer. Longer. They dated for a really long time. I still, to this day, I think slightly mourn their breakup. Dated or have their publicists leak it to the public because it boosted sales of this movie. No, no this is like after time. the movie. Really? And like for yeah, years for after years. the movie. Oh. 
I don't remember this at all. This is like oh. until like 2009. I think yeah. of Ryan Gosling exclusively with his current wife, with Ava Mendez. Really? Because I, I still have not gotten over this breakup. This was like a big deal. Rachel McAdams really only fully sold herself on me post Mean Girls with Game Night. This is post Mean Girls. This is like exactly two months later. I mean, in terms of me watching performances of Rachel McAdams, like I remember Mean Girls, but I feel like Game Night is when I was like, oh wait, she's really good at this. I think it might be her best performance. I think it might be. I still haven't seen Game Night, but this was a huge year for Rachel McAdams. Like, yeah, if Mean Girls and this came out, this my was, God. This and this was, was kind of Ryan Gosling's breakout as well. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Gosling had been on the Mickey Mouse Club and he'd been around. Uh, he actually lived with Justin Timberlake's family when they were filming sure, Mickey but Mouse Club. Like, but, as an adult actor, which is different than being a Mouseketeer. Yeah, this was definitely him becoming the rom-com leading man that we know today. And they didn't even want to cast him, I don't think. They didn't think he was attractive enough. No, no, no. Nick Cassavetti said he cast him because he wasn't super attractive. Right, 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 right. And then it turned him into a sex symbol. Nick Cassavetes seems to have weird ideas about attraction. He also, in an interview with ChristianAnswers.net when the movie came out, which seems like an outlet that would be favorable to noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks, he went on about the not-quite-sex scenes, talking about how they were toned down in part to get a PG-13 rating, and also because, quote, I get embarrassed about sex stuff. He was like, it's not a moral thing, I'm not like opposed to it i'm just too embarrassed to deal with it then why are you directing a movie based on a romance novel i mean that's a great question because like it or not noted homophobe nicholas sparks writes romance novels right this was his first it was his first one published not the first one he wrote but it's the first one he published yes it was the first it was the third movie but it was the first book see that's a weird kind of position to have but i don't think you need to have sex to have a good romance movie no. at the same time so i don't think if you're uncomfortable with sex i think it's fine if you're still choosing romance novels i just think it's kind of weird to openly admit sex is kind of icky so i don't like to direct it no i would agree with that statement i just think it's weird especially because they do have a lot of kind of sex scenes in this movie there's a lot of not quite sex yeah for sure it's not like game of thrones or anything you'd see on stars but sure but it's there the tension is supposed to be there so before nick cassavetes this project actually bounced around in hollywood for a while because like we said the notebook is the first novel by noted homophobe nicholas sparks and it was released in 1996 and pretty much right away New Line bought the rights for it. And so it was circulating in Hollywood throughout a lot of the 90s. Jeremy Levin, who wrote the screenplay, was hired shortly after that. And the first filmmaker to like really get in on The Notebook was Steven Spielberg, who wanted to make it with Tom Cruise. So this is like just after Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise, like just after Mission Impossible. But instead, Spielberg gets busy with other projects. Tom Cruise goes off and makes Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> we should watch that movie. <laughs> so... Neither of them make The Notebook. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, The Notebook, Eyes Wide Shut. You know, they're basically the same thing. What if Stanley Kubrick directed The Notebook? I'm trying to. I think it would be Eyes Wide Shut. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) So that didn't happen. So then Jim Sheridan was attached to do it. They were supposed to shoot in 1999, but then there were rewrites, and then Sheridan was going off to make another movie. And so that's when Cassavetes came on board and led to the version of the movie that we got in 2004. Like I said, it was uh, 
late June. It opened on June 25th, almost exactly two months after Mean Girls. And it made $81 million. It was a nice little summer hit. Yeah. You release a movie when a bunch of high school girls are out for the summer, you're going to make some money. I just, there was nothing appealing to me about this movie. And I wonder if it's because of the whole, I don't find straight relationships engaging in a, like, biological way that seems to be driving a lot of people's discussion of this movie. You mean the hotness? Yeah. Everyone's just like, but they're so hot together, and I love their chemistry. I'm like, wow, I just did not care at all about their relationship. (laughs) And I'm just like, Ryan Gosling looks good in this, but he's looked better in other things, and you don't even see butt, so, like, what's the point? That's a hundred percent what's driving your dislike of this movie. Well, plus the problematic things in the beginning that we'll get to. Yeah, and the racism. The, like, overt racism that should have been caught in 2004, but I've not heard discussed. Yeah, I mean... I mean, it's part of the discussion of all of the work of noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks. It's true. For someone who loves the South as much as he does, he really loves white people. Fun fact, he is from... Omaha. He's lived in New Bern for a number of years, but he's actually from Nebraska. I mean, Omaha's a great city. I think for someone who has this weird love affair with the South, he doesn't actually understand... Fetishization. The real South. Well, it's like Corey Stewart in Virginia always going on about how people who want to denigrate the Confederacy are trying to get rid of our history, and Corey Stewart is from Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. No. It's like, we get that your embrace of these things are more polite cover for worse things. And not that polite. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to defend that part of the South. But Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. Anyway, like we said, this movie was a fairly big hit. It did crazy well at the Teen Choice Awards. Yes. Uh, They won both Choice Movie Lip Lock and Choice Movie Love Scene, which are separate awards at the Teen Choice Awards. Is this the MTV Movie Awards or the Teen Choice Awards? These are the Teen Choice Awards. Okay, because the MTV Movie Awards and the Teen Choice Awards are two different things. I'm aware. Okay, just making sure. They also, I believe, did well at the MTV Movie Awards. Did any of these awards show slime people, though? I don't believe so. Then what's the point? I don't think anyone got slimed. (laughs) Yeah, because they did quite well at the MTV Movie Awards, which was the defining part of my adolescence, but you know. We'll get to that. I mean, we can get to it now. I don't get even to get to the uh, get the appeal of the kiss as much. It's like, oh, he lifted her. Uh, like, that's about it for me. <laughs> yeah, so I think the thing with this is when they won the MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss, A, they were together, which was the first time anybody who had won was actually together. But I also think it was the first time that anybody recreated the kiss on stage. That's a thing that happens now all of the time. But they went up on stage and do this, like, running jump thing to each other and recreate the kiss then they like look back at the audience and it's like oh like we didn't see you there and it was just this like huge thing it was awesome well i'm glad that moment existed for you and everyone freaked out i was looking at an article today that just had a bunch of stills from that moment and just all of the other celebrities in the audience mostly hillary duff and Lindsay lohan because Those are the celebrities that we're talking about at the 2005 MTV Movie Awards. Two very important people. Freaking out. 
It was great. Every time I think about Hillary Duff, I still just think of, I think it's the 2006 PSA where Hillary Duff yells at a girl who says, that's so gay about a shirt. And it's just like, when you use that to mean stupid, you're saying that gay people are stupid. I've never heard of this. You haven't? No. Oh my God. What if every time something was bad, everybody said, oh, that's so girl wearing a skirt as a top. But that's why gay marriage is legal, Will. (laughs) There we go. We'd forgotten about that. (laughs) Anyway, should we start talking about the points of this terrible movie? I mean, we probably should. We've got a lot to dig into here. Yeah. Catherine, every week, I don't know if you know this, but we break down the romance in a movie into five points. Five plot lines, five scenes, anything that kind of helps the audience understand what's happening in the romance. So this week, as our guest, please enlighten us. What is point number one? Point number one is... Before we do this, I apologize. This movie involves an immediately tiresome framing device. (laughs) It's so bad. Which we will discuss at the end. But I just want to note that the movie starts with an opening monologue, which is different from the voiceover we get through the rest of the movie, because that voiceover is the titular notebook, which is barely a notebook, I just want to say. For starters, we have this opening monologue... Where we're told, I'm no one special, just a common man with common thoughts. I've lived a common life. And I think it was that moment where I realized this movie is absurd and it's not going to improve from here. I think that was a moment where I realized that I could give this movie about 40% attention and started playing word cookies on my phone. But how would you track all the common thoughts? (laughs) This is a movie that later on in voiceover announces... It was an improbable romance. He was a country boy. She was from the city. As though no country and city people have ever dated before. The best part is the city is Charleston, which at the time I'm guessing was a... It's a significant port. A significant port, but it's also 1941. It's not going to be the biggest city. And this island is 15 minutes away. It looks... I don't think you understand, Mark. He was a country boy. She was from the city. What is even on this island? It just seems like there's a vague mill. There's that a they town refer to. and a mill and, and an her old summer home house. and an old plantation. I really need to stop watching movies I like with you guys. Also, a major part of this is him restoring the splendor of an old plantation house. That's not but It's so pretty. Necessarily awful like renovating an old building. But there's old buildings in the south that aren't plantation houses. Sure. They probably may not be on this island. Yeah, I'll give him that much. Yeah, fair. Not on this island with the creek. It's just like so over plantation houses. So anyway, we're going to be taking this chronologically. (laughs) Catherine's in charge at point one. She's going to tell us about someone who may or may not be a common man with common thoughts. It's a mystery. It's not. So we're going to start with June 6th, 1940. Did it give us that date? Gave us the date. Because I spent a while trying to figure out when this took place. I wrote it down, gives us the date. It's the night that they met, and that's how they start. That's how he starts the story. June 6, 1940. Where were we? June 6, 1940. It's the night that they met. Ooh, or four years before D-Day. Yeah, that comes into play. Well, the war does. The war does. June 6, 1940, at the fair. I'm going to ask you one more time. Will you? Will you not go out with me? God damn, my head's slipping. Not till she agrees. Oh, go out with him, honey. Okay, okay, fine. I'll go out with you. So, June 6, 
So we get a shot of this guy named Noah with his buddy Finn and they're just bopping around the fair and they see these cute girls on the bumper cars. Yo, bumper cars rule. One of whom is Finn's girlfriend and the other is Finn's girlfriend's friend who is significantly cleaner than everyone else. Yeah, because she's not one of these dirty country people. She's rich. In case you were wondering how you could ever find out that she's a city folk, she is noticeably washed. (laughs) This movie does take a weird perspective in the like city folk are nicer versus like city folk are scum. That is true. We're truly breaking Catherine. So they're at the bumper cars. Bumper cars rule. Love bumper cars. I want to know, what is your bumper car strategy? Do you just like drive around or are you an agent of chaos who just targets people? See, I think the last time I was in a bumper car, it was that game where you use the scoops to throw a ball at a hoop in bumper cars. I have never done this. You've never played this? It was like the thing to do on your birthday. There's two teams. You're in a bumper car. There's a small like softball sized ball and you have the plastic like scoops you know what i'm talking about and you have to like pick up the ball and throw it at a point on the wall for points but you're in bumper cars i've never seen this this rules let's do it tomorrow (laughs) i will find out if there's any nearby please do it was a big deal because you had to drive to Roswell. It wasn't in Alpharetta. Oh, wow. Wow. Catherine, what's your bumper car strategy? Oh, I'm an agent of chaos. Okay, good. I will. I target specific people, but also I'm an agent of chaos. When I was growing up, there was this place in Rockville called Jeepers. <laughs> was it Scooby-Doo themed? Nope. <laughs> It doesn't exist anymore. Jeepers was mostly an arcade, but it had like some weird rides in it, including a roller coaster that had a maximum height limit. Because if you were too tall, you just hit the ceiling. It was an inside roller coaster that wasn't at the Mall of America. I'm yep. confused. It was very small. And they also had bumper cars there, but the bumper cars were great because instead of being car shaped, they were shaped like supervillain chairs. So you're like Emperor Palpatine if his chair could float around on the floor and just run into people. So, update, the game is called Whirly Ball, and the closest locations are in either Ohio or New Jersey. Road trip! We can go to either of those places. Those are not far. We have cars. We're adults. You know who are not adults at this point are Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams, whose characters I believe are 17? Allie is 17. They never say how old Noah is. That's true. So he's 30. It's canon. I mean, no, but like, sure? Yep. He's definitely not. He wouldn't be able to enlist in the war later if he was 30. I mean, I was just hoping that we could commit to something ridiculous, but fine. Whatever. You're already ruining this movie for me. This movie is ruining this movie for you. I'm just pointing it out. I will admit that everything we're about to talk about that happens in the first 20 minutes of this movie is problematic. Oh, deeply. Like, seriously problematic. So... But have you tried thinking about it with simple thoughts? Simple thoughts are what got these people into trouble in the first place. That's true. Did you know Rachel McAdams is two years older than Ryan Gosling? I did not. Huh. So. so Anyway, they're watching the bumper cars. (laughs) So Noah spots her and he asks his buddy what her name is. And he tells her that she's in this town, Seabrook, for the summer. Just hanging out and that she's friends with this guy, Finn's girlfriend. So the girls get off the bumper cars and there's these other two like weird guys kind of following her around that we then never really see again after this night that are being super attentive and it's very odd. I got the sense that it was like a double date kind of situation but the guys hadn't been on the bumper cars. I got the impression that they were all together. 
Right, except for the fact that there were two guys and two girls, and one of the girls we know was this other guy's girlfriend. Great point. I think they had forgotten. Sure. So anyway, the first thing that Noah says without even introducing himself really is he just walks right up to her and asks her if she wants to dance. And she was like, uh, no, I'm good, and walks away. He's really dirty. He's He's a country boy. He's got this hat on. He is also particularly dirty compared to the other country folk. They definitely did not do a good job of making him balance between like got that post-work glisten that's attractive and just putting on a bunch of dirt on Ryan Gosling to the point where I was like, did you even like try to rub your face off after work? Well, Gosling, when he auditioned, for this movie, had just been also auditioning to play Pigpen in a production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. My brain immediately went there, too. And so then when he showed up for The Notebook, they were like, wow, we're really digging this look. We're going to need you to do it every time you show up on set. Except it's really only this scene. Like, it's not that bad the rest of the movie. No, it's this scene and the next day where he's dirty. And then the rest of the movie, I guess they realized their mistakes, but didn't want to fix it. Well, he cleans himself up to be with her. Oh, that also makes sense. <laughs> so she says no, and he continues to kind of watch her go hang out with this other guy, and she goes and gets on the Ferris wheel with this other guy, and he makes the decision. You know how, like, roadside carnivals, you look at them and you're like, all of this is clearly about to fall apart? Yeah, definitely. Imagine if you took one of those and eliminated railings, because that is what this carnival has done. It's 1940. Railings weren't a thing. I mean, bars of metal exist. Yeah, but they didn't they didn't care about safety. It was natural selection. If you were stupid enough to fall off, then that was it. At least that's what my grandparents always said. All right. Well, what happens here is he decides to run onto the Ferris wheel as Allie and her boo are going past, and so he runs and leaps onto their seat and sandwiches himself between them and continues repeatedly asking Allie to go out with him. And asking again, and asking again, and asking again, and asking again. And she says, no, no, no. And it's really not that playful of a no. No, she's like, I am not interested in you. Please leave. Obviously, we are on a Ferris wheel, so you cannot really leave. But this is an uncomfortable situation, and I am not into this. And yet he figures out a way to leave. And by figuring out a way to leave, I mean, goes and hangs from a bar on the Ferris wheel, basically threatening to kill himself which is just really actually threatening to kill himself and this is really uncomfortable he's just like if you don't agree to go on a date with me i will kill myself she says no he drops a hand and is starting to slip and is like i'll do it like if you don't say yes i'm dead and it's such blatant emotional manipulation and their other friends are like yelling from the car below like noah stop being so stupid everyone's freaking out As well they should be. Because he's doing this thing. But Catherine, I don't think you understand. This is really charming because it shows how in love he is with her. From first sight, he has to be with her. I told you I admitted this part was problematic. According to Nicholas Sparks, this story is... Noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks. According to noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks, the story of The Notebook is based on his now ex-wife's grandparents i'm not sure to what level of detail but that is a thing he said multiple times yeah yeah so anyway we have this nice start with emotional manipulation 
She says she'll go out with him to get him to not kill himself. Man repeatedly ignoring the whims and desires of a woman like he should. And then as revenge, after she says yes, she pulls down his pants in public, which is a nice touch. I would probably do something similar. You say that like he's not wearing a second pair of pants as underwear underneath. He's just wearing shorts. Underwear underneath is bigger than the shorts that I am currently wearing. Well, remember, Nick Cassavetes is very embarrassed by this stuff. I also think that that might have been standard underwear in the 40s. It's possible. Yeah. So then the next day, he's coming home from work, I guess, or on his lunch break or Something. something. He sees her in the street. And sees her in the street. And so he runs up to her and is like, hey, what about our date? And she was like, what date? She's like, that doesn't count. That was under duress. Yeah. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm not normally like this, but when I see something I like, I gotta, and then cuts himself off and tries to like walk it back a little bit. And it's just that, that one was really, that made me cringe a little bit. Oh, what, when he called her something? Yeah, and just the, when I see something I like, yeah, just when I see something I like, I gotta, and just imagining what the end of that sentence would be without... Like, I imagine the end of that sentence is be, when I see something I like, I gotta get it or gotta have it. And so it's her as an object, but also taking away any agency that she has in the decision whatsoever. Because guess what? She can choose to not be with him. Mark is now showing me underwear from the 1940s. It is slightly larger than our current idea of boxers, but not that much larger. Do we think this is the first time that Noah has done something like this? Because I think no. I think hard no. I think this is his go-to strategy for women. Noah only gets with women when the carnival's in town. (laughs) Yeah. But he tries different things. He'll, like, lie on the ground in front of a bumper car. The Ferris wheel worker sounded annoyed, but not surprised. surprised. (laughs) You were just in there holding one of the guns from the shooting gallery, and I was like, Noah, it shoots rubber darts. I want to say no, but, like, based on everything I know about men, probably yes. Like, What <gasps> are Noah's redeeming qualities besides Ryan Gosling is handsome? He made her a promise and he kept it. He's a country boy. <laughs> He's got simple thoughts. Common thoughts. Common thoughts. He wrote her every day for a year. That's basically just sending a text in our terms. Wait, they're long. They're long, but it's still just, like... That's the only way of communicating. I feel like the arc is supposed to be that he tried to make himself better to be deserving of her in a way, but like, I don't, yeah. Part of the problem is like, there's presumably a ton of personal growth that takes place in like the decades that this movie skips, where like we have him as- Seven years. No, no, no. I'm saying we have him as basically the same guy for the entire Ryan Gosling part. And then the framing device where he's an old man is basically a different person- So presumably a lot of personal growth happens in those decades and we don't see it. Yeah, yeah, fair. Now, part of that may be because James Garner was not into Ryan Gosling's insistence on getting together and chatting deeply about like getting mannerisms to match up and stuff like that. James Garner was just like, I'm just going to do my thing. You do whatever you want. Sounds like James Garner. Just remember we're on point one. (laughs) Okay, we're like at the end though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's like... Go out with me. And she's like, I don't want to. And he's like, when I see something that I like, I love it. Or whatever. And so then we move into point two, which is them dating. Now say you're a bird too. If you're a bird, I'm a bird. 
somehow, which they get set up initially, these two friends that were with them at the carnival, trick them into going on a double date to see the wonderful, wonderful film, Lil Abner, based on the comic strip, which my old dance teacher was in. And it's fun because when you watch it, his head literally leaves the frame because he jumps so high. So that's always fun for me. But then they like bond somehow in this movie because their friends are just sitting there making out. Yeah, so they're just like, well, I guess we have to interact with each other during the movie. And so then after the movie, they like go do this thing where they lay down in the middle of the street and watch the streetlights change. And then almost die. And then almost die. And then one of the classic lines from this movie is when he asks her to dance in the middle of the street and she says there's no music. And he's like, well, we'll make some. And then they're dancing in silence and he's kind of singing. And she- This is the most charming part of the movie. And she says, you're a terrible singer, but I love this song. And then it's like, Okay, they're in love now. Yeah, basically, it just cuts and it's like, these are the most in love people that have ever been in love. Yeah. In narration. And that's the only development we get. This is one of those movies that's like, all you need is like a moment and then you've got a relationship because of that. And we get a dating montage. Yay! And by this point, we've also heard that like she's applying to all these colleges because she's going to be going away to college. I love the way she says college like Noah would have never heard of college before. He doesn't know where Sarah Lawrence is. That's plausible. That's very plausible. It's weird that she's going to college. It's 1941. I mean, she's a really rich lady and she could be going to one. No, I'm not saying that it's like unheard of. I'm just saying this is not the norm. Right. No, no. I'm saying I enjoy the way that she says it. I like the line delivery. And he goes on a whole thing about like, I thought you were free. You spend all your time doing all this stuff that your parents want. But yeah, we see them dancing. Uh, It's an improbable romance. They date. He was a country boy. She was from the city. She meets his dad. Oh, yeah. His dad's played by Sam Shepard. He's pretty good. Yeah. There's not much to his dad. He likes pancakes. A good guy. (laughs) Who raised him right and talks about how Noah had a stutter. They go on their beach trip and have the classic, if you're a bird, I'm a bird line, which is one of the other most quoted lines from this film. What a weird conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, this is, why do people care about this scene? (laughs) I don't get it. Again, I think it's supposed to, it's those, like, acknowledging that they're, like, made for each other kind of thing. Again, most of the people that love this movie saw it for the first time between the ages of 12 and 14. Yeah. I mean, Rachel McAdams' swimsuit is great. That's a great swimsuit. But I was just, like, I was very confused about the appeal. She has a lot of great outfits. She does. When she goes back to, to see him after he finishes the house and she's wearing this, like, pink outfit with the big red hat and the red edges that's a great outfit all of the costuming in this movie is great except for making ryan gosling look like he's a country boy all of the costuming on her and her mom is good Uh, what about her dad though and his smoking jacket (laughs) yeah and the dad but i mean ryan gosling wears a white button down from the moment he gets back from the war through the rest of the movie it's the same in. shirt it's the same shirt because he's a country boy the styling on lawn is great too james marsden uh, looks- sure put james marsden in a suit and he'll look great yeah <laughs> great in his uniform fantastic so, in his uniform during this montage we also get to see their favorite thing to do with each other which is yell at each other fairly aggressively often 
And Mostly him yelling at her. And then they make out. Right. And we're told in voiceover that they challenged each other every day, which means him yelling at her. But they had one important thing in common. They were crazy about each other. Aren't you glad you had this narration to spice this up? <laughs> Look, what do you want from old Noah? He's got common thoughts. <laughs> Excuse me, Duke. <laughs> right, Duke. Duke. Duke, you just ruined the plot. Uh, yeah, the movie in the first scene ruined the plot because I've seen movies before. <laughs> <laughs> I know what a movie is. But this was 2004. So film had been around for a hundred years. More. People had been to the moon in film over a hundred years before. Anyway, they date point three. Point, oh, well, around oh, this point, no. you've got like he meets the parents. Yeah, which is a very awkward. They oh, wow. ask him how much he makes and like forty cents an hour. Sit there and judge yeah. him. And then you also have their first night at the plantation. Right. They visit the weird old house that he wants to renovate. And so she shows up at his house and he's like, I want to show you something. So he goes and he shows her the plantation. Basically, they break into an abandoned house. Yeah. So then he's talking about how it's his dream to buy this house and fix it up. And she's like, well, what about me? What about my dreams? And so she tells him what she wants. She wants a white house with blue shutters and a wraparound porch. And then they exchange I love yous. And then they almost hook up. Yes, they stand across a room from each other and silently watch each other undress. This was so weird Mark, to me. this is how straight people have <laughs> sex. This whole thing, I am not shocked that Nick Cassavetes feels icky about sex. It was so weird. They stand as far apart from each other as they can and watch each other slowly undress. And then they don't actually have sex because she's overthinking and talking out loud. But do you realize how much, as a 12-year-old, that that was, like, so hot? Like, as a 12-year-old girl, like, I mean, this is, like, like an opportunity to be, like, wow, you're, like, with a guy, but not too close because that would be weird and uncomfortable. I guess I can't get you guys in the frame of head of a middle school girl, but like... So my take on this movie is that this movie, or at least this part of it, is bad say anything. Because it's a smart, well-off girl, the summer before she's headed off to college, has a fling with a guy that she wouldn't normally interact with, who doesn't have a ton of ambition. But the difference is that Lloyd Dobler is like, content with his place in life and is just like, I will do whatever I need to support you and like I'll go with you like whatever it takes whereas Noah has all this like anger inside of him that comes out constantly (sighs) Lloyd Dobler is great I love Say Anything Say Anything is great Say Anything is not this movie unfortunately Um, (laughs) so while they are kind of naked writhing against each other and she's saying pointedly not having sex pointedly not having sex and she's saying I don't know how to have sex I'm scared essentially his friend walks in and is like, the cops are after you. You gotta scram. <laughs> Imagine being that police officer and being like, oh, we got another call in that teenagers are having sex indoors. <laughs> gotta go deal with it. I mean, they are breaking and entering. Sure. But it wasn't even that. It was her parents called the cops because she wasn't home. She broke curfew and they called the cops. Do you think the cops have, like, a list of everyone's curfew and they just know to go out and check for people? In Seabrook, with the rich family, I wouldn't be surprised. So then I think we get into point number three, Oh, you know what it is? So the population board on the town, you have to update it when you go home as to whether you are outside or inside. And so they know all the people that aren't where they're supposed to be. 
Sure. So then we get to point number three, Woo! which is the unsurprising and very much going to happen because it's two people dating from the wrong side of the tracks. Breakup. You know what? I'm going to do it. It's over. Okay, it's over. Don't touch me. I hate you. I hate you. So they go back to her parents' place and Allie and her parents are in the room fighting about it. While Noah sits outside. And my favorite part of this is when Allie's mom straight up shouts, He is trash! <laughs> Talking about him. Multiple times. She's just screaming. Like, they cut to seeing him. He's sitting outside the room. And you hear her in the office just going, Trash, 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 trash! He is trash! And she goes to uh, her- Do you know him? He has common thoughts! <laughs> And she goes to her dad for comfort, and I think it's he says something along the lines of, it just won't suit, or it's just not suitable or something, and that's just like a very old Southern thing to say, is it just doesn't suit. But, you know, poor Noah has to sit in the whole room and listen to them talking about how much of a garbage person he is. Meanwhile, Allie also starts chatting at her mom about, like, you don't know anything about love! Yeah, definitely calling out her parents for not being in love like she thinks they should be. So then Noah walks out. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. And Allie goes chasing after him. And they have some sort of conversation about, it's like, he's like, well, we'll just wait and see what happens the rest of the summer or something. And she gets all mad. like She's saying, like, the way you're framing that, it sounds like you're expecting us to break up. So if you're going to break up with me, just do it now. Right. And she, she asks him to come to New York with her because she's going to Sarah Lawrence. And he's like, well, what would I do there? And Get a job at a mill. There are jobs in New York. Or New Jersey. There are so many choices. But yeah, so then it ends up with them like like slapping each other around. and She announces like, fine, I'll break up with you. And like tells him to leave. So he gets in the car, starts driving away. She's like, no, wait, come back. But he drives away. And then the next morning she wakes up and the house is like all packed up. Because they're going to be leaving to get her away from this naughty boy. Oh, and this is the scene where we get appearance number two of a person of color. Right. The first one was a child who was dancing while a bunch of white people watched. And clapped along. Right. In this scene, we actually have two black domestic workers. Yep. There is a... Silent butler. Silent butler. A mammy. Like... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who her mother instructs to pack her room. Yeah. I was very uncomfortable. I was... Very unhappy to see this. But meanwhile, during this breakup, she goes off to college. We're in full montage mode again. Noah goes off to the war. He fights in the desert. He fights in the snow. Fights against the Nazis. Here we go! It's in Patton's third. They're very specific. She is at college, and she also spends time as a nurse, working with the soldiers. And that's where she meets James Marsden in a body cast. He asks her out in a body cast. And she's like, yikes. She's you look like, gross. She is just like, why don't you focus on getting better, sweetie? She literally doesn't respond. She's just like, ah. And you yeah. get the sense that she's slowly backing away. But then he does get better and he shows up. Looking like James Marsden. To Sarah Lawrence. Our his, handsomest actor. In his uniform with his cap tips leaning against his fancy, fancy car. And is like, ma'am, I'm here for that date. And I think everyone's wound. I have a proposal. Is it you marrying James Marsden? <laughs> I mean, not opposed. But what if 
we go back and computer insert Sonic into every James Marsden performance. Just like hanging out next to him? Yep. Now imagine this movie with Lon Hammond, but next to him is a tiny, weird looking, not hedgehog that runs fast. What if instead of that car that he shows up with, he rides around on Sonic's shoulders? <laughs> Hollywood. Call me. I'm willing to negotiate for this idea. Prices will be reasonable, but they will be at least seven figures. So they start dating and they hit it off great. This is lovely because it means that she has finally, after years, gotten over Noah. We know she was really upset at first. Meanwhile, Noah spent a year writing her a letter every day and she never responded. So after a year, he wrote her a goodbye letter and stopped doing it. Because her mom was stealing her mail. (gasps) Don't commit Mail fraud. I like the idea that Allie has never once offered to get the mail. (laughs) For a full year, she has never once said, Oh, Mom, why don't I get the mail today and let you continue to eat your breakfast? Let's be clear, their staff gets the mail. But they show the mom actively getting the mail. Oh, that's true. Because she's trying to hide the letters. Maybe she's having an affair with the mailman just to make sure that she can pull those letters. It's just like... We know she has a thing of her blue-collar workers, too. It's hereditary. Yeah. It is just, like, such a funny idea to me that in 365 days, one, mail doesn't come every day, two, she not once is the first person at the mailbox. What happened to his (laughs) Sunday letters? So then there's this whole thing where... Allie and Lon are hitting it off. He's great. He's charming. Except for his proposal is kind of weird, too. I don't love that either. I think it's fun. It's like it's not, more charming. It's like not problematic. It's just not the best proposal. So he's like, I've been thinking of all the reasons that we can't get married. And we can't get married because your parents like me. And he's like, and you have been rebelling against your parents as much as you can for your whole life. And so it would really bother you to marry someone your parents like. Which I think is actually kind of cute. It's fun. It shows that he knows her well. Yeah. Except for that he doesn't know that she painted. Because she hasn't been painting. Yeah. Yeah. And when he finds out, she's like, I used to paint. And I miss that. And he's like, well, paint. Do it. Yeah. He's He's very supportive. Go paint. I'm I'm bored. I will admit, I do feel my heart goes out for Lon. Lon is the better guy. Lon is the objectively better person. And not just in terms of the fact that he is also a city boy. He is nicer to her. He treats her better. He is very attractive because James Marsden is one of our handsomest actors. So in the next point. he's super rich from his ham and cotton. In the next point, before she can get married to her city boy, she has to go back to the small country town to meet the guy that she was in love with when she was 17. This movie turns into Sweet Home Alabama, and just like in Sweet Home Alabama, city boy is the better option. I will say, it is not great that Lon Hammond has sharecroppers working for him. No, that's (laughs) bad. But I don't know if you've heard this about Noah. He is trash. So Allie's like, they've got their wedding planned. She's trying on her wedding dress. And they're talking about how the governor of South Carolina is going to be at the wedding. And it's going to be the social event of everything. Meanwhile, Noah has been refurbishing that old house. Because when he got back from the war, Sam Shepard sold his house to finance buying the old plantation and fixing it up. So basically, all Noah does this entire time is fight in the war and then fix up the house. And then Sam Shepard dies. Yeah. And so once he fixes up the house, the paper comes and is like, hey, this guy... Fixed up the old 100-year-old plantation house, like... We're gonna put his picture in the papers! That's not unsurprising. No, it's totally plausible. human interest. He's got a depression beard. 
Yeah. After his dad dies, Ryan Gosling grows a depression beard. It's really attractive. Is it? Yeah. I always find... Not when it's... Okay, not early depression beard. It's pretty scraggly. Beard. After a little bit later in the movie, when it's cleaned up a little bit, that's attractive. See, I always find it interesting when... Men in movies have beards and are entirely hairless from the neck down. I don't know what it is. Ryan Gosling is hairless from the neck down. He's very smooth, but he still grows a good beard, which is just such an interesting combination. <laughs> and Allie learns this. Will just ge- has genuinely no idea how to respond to this. <laughs> this is one of the hardest I've ever seen him think of how to move on. Allie learns this about Gosling when she sees his picture in the newspaper standing in front of the house and she faints. She faints. So then after she faints, she's like, oh, well, maybe I'm not over this and decides that she needs to return to Seabrook. One of the only believable fainting scenes to me is in Pirates of the Caribbean where she actually can't breathe because of the corset. Yeah, and she falls off the castle and then Jack Sparrow has to dive in to save her. There's no reason for her to faint from shock in this. Maybe sit down. She had the vapors. (laughs) But this is a full case. I'm surprised someone did yell, Get the smelling salts! So she goes to visit Lon at work and is like, yo, I'm skipping town for a couple of days. I got some stuff to take care of. And he's like, cool. Uh, Do you need help with anything? And she's like, nope. He's like, all right, bye. And so point number four, she returns to Seabrook. Would you just stay with me? Stay with you? What for? Look at us. We're already fighting. Well, that's what we do. We fight. You tell me when I'm being an arrogant son of a bitch. And I tell you when you're being a pain in the ass, which you are 99% of the time. And she rolls up to the house. And it's exactly like everything that she wanted the house to be. It's white with blue shutters. And there's the wraparound porch, which he made because the porch wasn't originally there. And Allie and Noah see each other for the first time in seven years. They have a weird interaction. It's very odd. And she crashes her car. And that's when she decides to come inside. She's like, this was a mistake. I'm leaving. And then it's like, no, remember, you can't drive. Remember seven years ago when he yelled at you because you can't drive? Because that's the only way to interact with somebody in a relationship is to yell at them. And she's like, fine. I still can't drive. I'll come inside. They hang out. They have dinner. She's like, I'm bouncing. Going back to my hotel. And he's like, come see me tomorrow. This movie is Sweet Home Alabama with a terrible framing device shoehorned That's in. what it is! But Sweet Home Alabama came out after, right? I think it might be the same year. It might be earlier. I want to say Sweet Home Alabama is 2002. Sweet Home Alabama is September 2002. It's like we know the book was written first, but still, this movie is just Sweet Home Alabama. So the next day, they're hanging out, and this is when they go in the boat, and they sail through all the birds. So he takes her out because it also comes up at some point that Noah in his depression state works out his anger by rowing the creek every day. So his routine, the thing he wanted to show her was all of these migrating birds that are hanging out in his creek. Fun fact about the birds. It was going to be too difficult to get a bunch of Hollywood birds in place. So Nick Cassavetes found a bunch of bird hatchlings and personally raised them all near the water so that they would be comfortable there. That is weird dedication to one scene. What? I'm just imagining the Cassavetes raising all this this massive flock of birds. I really am just picturing him like chewing a bunch of food and personally spitting it into the mouths of hundreds of baby birds. I recently watched Hearts of Darkness, which is the documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now, and it's all about Francis Ford Coppola 
thinking like, oh shoot, we gotta do this too as things just drag out longer and longer. And I'm imagining Nick Cassavetes being like, guys, we can't shoot today. The ducks need to grow a little bit bigger. There are so many birds. Where did he, like, where were they? So anyway, they sail around in the boat. They're having a nice time, but then the rain comes in. And you know what rain does? Makes your clothes stick to you and you look sexy and then you kiss. So then they they come in. They have this whole conversation where she says that he's changed, but he hasn't changed and that she's proud of him. And he's like, well, I actually did the house because I promised you I would. So then you get this whole thing that all he has ever done in his life is for her. And I think that's where that notion comes from. But then they dock the boat, are sopping wet, and she kind of storms up the up the dock a little bit and turns around and is like, I waited for you for seven years. It wasn't over, blah, blah, blah. Why didn't you write me? And, and that's when he tells her that he wrote her every day for a year. And then the most iconic notebook line, it wasn't over, it still isn't over, and then they make out. Yeah, then they do the, like, rain makeout scene, which I thought was the end of the movie. So I was confused when I still had, like, 45 minutes to go. And then they go have sex. Yeah, they have sex. Um, She's really excited about it. She's like, oh, yeah, that's amazing. I can't believe I waited so long to sex you. And yeah. in this, they are letting down both Lon, James Marsden, the better man, and also Martha, the, like, random lady from town that Noah has been hooking up with, who is the weirdest it's so unnecessary, too. But, like, she's a weird person where she's, like, going on at one point about, like, a woman knows when a man looks into her eyes and sees someone else but seems okay with it. Well, she's mostly just in it for the dick because her husband's dead. Yep, I think she's into him. I think she's into him, but I think she's aware of the situation and is kind of just like, well, I might as well get boned down by Ryan Gosling. The next day she shows up, she meets Allie. The three of them all just hang out together for a while. And like when, an entire day, right? And when Martha like, leaves, she's like, seeing this other woman that you're banging now gives me hope that I'll find love again. So then naturally, this can't be, you know, they're sitting there, they're super happy. He's doing things like leaving her flowers on the pillow and shows her this painting studio room that he built in the house for her, which was something else that she wanted when they had their initial conversation in the house. And then there's a knock on the door, and Allie does what anyone would do, which is answer the door wearing just a blanket. Would you ever do that? No! no. I would, like, at least put on a robe. Like, minimum. Minimum. Because, like, that's always, like, a concern for me with, like, fire alarms or something. Like, if I'm not dressed You've got enough, time to put on pants. Like... Yeah. No, you definitely do, but it's a thing that I think about sometimes. Well, you could go the alley route and just be dressed, draped in a blanket. When your mom's at the door, what? Who did she expect to be there? That's the amazing question. Who is an appropriate person? Because Gosling would have just walked in. Right. Like, the only person where she should be okay not getting dressed wouldn't knock. Anyway, it's her mom. (laughs) It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but her mom shows up and is basically like, Lon's coming, figure your shit out, and then brings this, like, wonderful realization that the apple didn't fall too far from the tree here. She's like, yes, I did take your letters, and it was probably wrong, but look, I too once loved a blue-collar man. And they go, and they sit, and they watch this guy work for a while, and her And mom- he, like, waves, basically. <laughs> and her mom has this, like, breakdown of, I really do love your father, but... But you can only have one true love, and I could not be with my one true love. 
Because he was a country boy. And she was a city city girl. girl. And that would be too improbable a romance. So then she brings her back to the plantation and says, make the right choice. And gives her the letters. Because she's apparently, instead of burning them, like I feel like a normal person would do, she just held on to all of them. It's weird that she saved them all. For seven years. Yeah. It's It's really weird that she saved them. It's weird. So she tells her to make the right choice. And Noah is obviously back and sees her mom drop her off. And then we know that she agonizes over it. She talks to Lon on the phone. She tells Lon in person. And Lon is like, oh, I could kill him or beat him up or just leave you. But I want to be with you. But then he's like, I know I'll never be with you. And the movie doesn't properly resolve this. We don't totally see her make the decision we see her show up with her suitcases at the plantation house lon does not get any real resolution no no justice for lon justice for lon hashtag it well justice for lon would honestly be his company being overthrown <laughs> and losing all of his money oh watch that movie yeah but then james marson finds a nice girl who actually values him and ends up happily ever after yeah um maybe he needs a country girl because he's a city boy oh we need an an improbable romance to pair with the other improbable romance exactly it's improbable mark can you even imagine a country boy and a city girl anyway she shows up with her suitcase they're together and this is kind of the end of the gosling mcadams of it all yeah so like we said for our fifth point we have this framing device Good night. Good night. I'll be seeing you. That starts on the movie when we're told that this fella Duke is a common man with common thoughts. And he's led a common life. Except he's done one amazing thing. Which is to be in love. Yeah. So... Throughout the course of this movie, this story has been told by James Gardner, or Duke, as he's introduced to us, reading... To Gina Rollins, who is Nick Cassavetti's mom. <laughs> she really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's like a working actress. Like, right. she's been in a bunch of stuff, but right. she is Nick Cassavetti's mom. I d- didn't realize... I knew she was a working actress. I did not realize that she was his mother. And she's introduced as Allie. She's called Miss Allie a lot. Miss Allie a lot. So, it's Allie, but she has dementia. So you've got Duke who has come to read this story to her. So the reason it's immediately apparent what is going on is because he's like, yeah, I'm going to read to you. And he's like, now where did we leave off? And then starts at what is clearly the beginning of the story, which is June 6, 1940. It's weird that he says, where did we leave off? When it's clear that he needs to start the story over every time. Right. But anyway, he's reading the story. She's like getting invested like, wow, she should have just told her parents she was going to do whatever she wanted. And he's like, yeah, she should have. And she keeps asking questions like, do they end up together? Like when they break up, she's like, but do they end up together? And he's like, no spoilers. And at some point, his kids come to visit and she meets them. It is worth noting. It's like very clear that Duke is like in very good shape to be in what is clearly not just like assisted living, but like a full on like mental facility. And the kids, after Allie goes back inside, say, like, Mom didn't even recognize us. Dad, this is unhealthy for you to be here. I guess this is where we're supposed to be like, oh my gosh, what a twist! Yeah. That's where 12-year-old Catherine figured it out. No. I, I literally have want to buy in, though. I like literally have do. in my notes... It's immediately clear what the payoff is because I've seen movies before. Okay, but 12-year-old Catherine wanted to buy into the premise of this movie. So that's when you're supposed to figure it out. That 
he is Noah and she is Allie. Or you hope that it's Noah because some people probably think it might be Lon. Who knows? That's a ridiculous read on the story. It is a ridiculous read on the story. That's when you're supposed to figure it out. So, yeah. And his thing is like, she's my sweetheart. I got to stay with her. This is where my home is. And so then they tell the story. They get to the end. And we learn that she wrote the book. Yeah. and so This is the notebook. The the movie is the notebook. She has a moment of lucidity. They have like a nice dinner. They dance together. Finishes the story and... So there's a few minutes of lucidity where she asks about the kids and she asks what's wrong with her. And this scene always gets me because I had a grandparent go through dementia and they at least did that well. They portrayed dementia well because you do have these moments of lucidity where they come back in and are trying to catch up on everything that's going on and are scared and don't know what's happening to them and stuff like that. So that, that part is very real. So he has this nice moment, and then she's like, what the heck is happening? She goes out again. She ultimately, I think she has to be sedated. Mm-hmm. And then the next day or something, he has a heart attack, which I guess would be his third. Yeah, yeah. Within, like, eight months. <laughs> yeah. So then he gets back to the place, and he sneaks into a room so that they can lie together in bed. And then this movie ends. They're, like, lying in bed holding hands being like... And she's lucid for this, Yeah, too. they're like, our love can do anything. And then the last bit of the movie is the nurse comes in the next morning and finds both of them dead in bed holding hands. They died in each other's arms. It's supposed to be sweet. It is wild. I started screaming. This movie is insane. This movie made Will start day drinking. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> It's supposed to be sweet. There was an issue where the version of this that got sold to Netflix after they fall asleep holding hands just faded to black. And so people were complaining on Twitter, like, Netflix, what the heck? And Netflix was like, this is the version they gave us. We'll try to get the right one. And has apparently fixed it. Well, it's not on Netflix anymore. At the time, it was. So. Oh, my God. They uh, When they die, I was just like, what is happening? After watching this movie... Based on a novel by noted homophobe, Nicholas Sparks. Do you guys think this relationship is believable? No! No. It's bad. It's a bad... Well... It is both bad and unbelievable. Yeah. I think if you put it back in 1940 and, like... No, if you put it back in 1940, she marries Lon. Women don't (laughs) have as much choice in 1946, I feel. I mean, it's there, but you marry Lon. (laughs) Like, society doesn't give you as much options. Like, the pressure is a lot higher at that time. I definitely think it could have happened. I don't think it's our least believable romance. No, but it's low. It's not a 10 by any measure. Every week we rate the movie we're covering on a believability scale where 0 is totally unbelievable and 10 is we believe all of the romance. So where would we put this movie about a highly improbable relationship between a country boy and a city girl? If you say country boy and city girl one more time. (laughs) It's just very improbable. I don't think you understand how improbable this couple is. This movie would have you believe that it is not a 10 either. It's a very improbable relationship. I'm just, I'm a common man with common thoughts. So it's difficult for me to wrap my head around this. Catherine, where would you rate it? Um, I didn't think about a rating. Uh, probably like a six or seven. I know from your look that is way too high for you, but... I was going to go four or five. I was thinking of like a four. Yeah. I just find deeply problematic the movie's commitment to the like, you can only ever really be in love with one person idea. 
Yeah. Which is yeah. what this movie is built on. Even her mom is only ever in love with that random guy who works at the mill. Yes, I agree with that. But I do think that there are some circumstances where for some people that that is true. Like, for certain people, I think that that is their mentality and that is true. We'll for also, certain people. We'll also get into this more in the next question. But also, Noah is a bad person. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all he does is yell at her. Ali Cannon should and has done much better. You know how hard this is for me because I do really still love this movie. Yeah. Um, Outside of the problematic first 20 minutes. Oh boy, that Ferris wheel. Uh, the Ferris wheel is also part of why this is unbelievable. Um, so, Mark and Catherine, is either Noah or Allie dateable? Allie is. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd agree with Allie being dateable, but I have made my feelings clear on Noah. Noah's a bad man. He needs to respect women's wishes, <laughs> not yell constantly at people he's in a relationship with, and move on. Learn how to process his emotions healthily. Men Sam Shepard have... is there ready to make him pancakes. Men didn't have emotions in 1941, Mark. Okay, but his dad seems to be processing his whole life very well. If you did have to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? I guess his friend. <laughs> Finn? Finn. Lon? Yeah, I guess answer? Lon. Hopefully. Answer? I mean. <laughs> hopefully we can address the sharecropping thing. I don't know how I feel about getting involved in the cot money. There's just like not an option that's See, not somehow involved in that economy. Well, Finn just works at the mine. He's just an old mine guy. Mill. Mill. Mill guy. It's a lumber mill. But the thing is, I always want to date James Marsden. Right. But I don't care about Lon. I think Lon seems like... I think Lon seems like a great guy. Yeah. I can't say no to James Marsden in that uniform, though. I literally can't. I could try. I would fail. All right. We know that Noah and Allie stay together because we see them literally die together in bed. Yeah. Because this movie has no chill. So I feel like to make our stance clear, this podcast is officially now a pro-Midge, pro-Marston pod. The period is so close to them being able to be together. What a dream pairing. Lon and Midge. It would be so great. <laughs> Lon could finance Midge's weird explorations into the occult underbelly of san francisco also her passion for women's lingerie design and space exploration yeah. so my new belief about this is lon rejects his family's sharecropping money moves to san francisco gets a job and meets midge and they fall in love and then they solve paranormal crime together in san francisco speaking of like stuff that would happen in the 1950s in 2015, the CW announced that they were going to be making a notebook series documenting their relationship in the period that the movie skips. So, like, their courtship from when she decides that she's going to go with Noah, but before they, like, have a family. That was four years ago. The show has not been made. They got super into Archie comics instead. <laughs> I mean, yes. Hot teens. That's the CW's brand. <laughs> <laughs> Those kids are banging. All of them. They're so all dating each other, so... This has happened to many movies that we've covered. So it's come time that we have to ask this. It's already happened, hasn't it? Should The Notebook <laughs> be made into a musical? I feel like it happened already. So to answer your question, uh, in 2012, there was a Bollywood adaptation of The Notebook. In 2016, there was a Bengali adaptation of The Notebook. And in 2019, a Broadway musical was announced with songs by Ingrid Michaelson. And they had a staged reading at Vassar in June 2019 with a cast that included James Naughton, Jelani Aladdin, Haley Kilgore, and Vanessa Hudgens. That's why we knew about it. But that's a great cast. Any word on, like, where it's 
I mean, there have weird. not been updates since that staged reading. Yeah. Oftentimes with the staged reading, we're still a couple years out from the Broadway mounting of the musical adaptation of The Notebook what if, based on the novel by noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks. What if that comes to DC first? Like Mean Girls? And Dear Evan Hansen and Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Anyway, I think that does it for this movie. Ended by discussing a much better film, Beetlejuice. Has that episode come out yet? Yeah, months ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> you say that like I keep track of these things. You gotta drink the juice. Anyway, <laughs> that's it for The Notebook. Next week we'll be beginning again. With the John Carney film, Begin Again. <laughs> I got nothing else to say. <laughs> It's It'll a be a movie. good time. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Last question, Catherine. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from the film The Notebook? Know what you want. That's something we didn't talk a whole lot about, but the whole thing is Allie knowing what she actually wants. And that way, when you see something you like... Oh, don't turn it that way. Mark, what about you? Ugh. Well, all I have to say is, scram, the cops are after you. <laughs> I think for me, it's just be willing to uh, embrace improbable opportunities. <laughs> he was a country boy. She was a city girl. F*** that noise. Until next time, I'm gay. <laughs> and I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. 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 Guys, y'all get up. Had to get so lit up. Guys, y'all.